So welcome to the Wealth and Wellbeing Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Resch, and we are calling to order a special edition of the podcast, um, given all the events that are unfolding in Europe and the recent publication of The War on Europe, A Worldwide Crisis or an Isolated Travesty. I actually have the author of that piece in studio, and I thought we could use this time to find out what's been going on in the last couple of days and sort of how this now might reshape our narrative going forward. So I want to welcome Drew Chan, our Chief Investment Officer. Drew, welcome. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me. You bet. So fresh on the heels of writing this great piece, um, many of you have already read it, but if you haven't had a chance, uh, you can check it out on our website. Probably the best way to spend seven minutes to get really up to speed on what's going on and how it's affecting the markets. But there's a lot to discuss, so I kind of want to just get right into it. Drew, why are the markets reacting the way they are? Uh, really, at the end of the day, it's uh, recalibrating on new information. And it's uh, a common thread that's been going on since the start of the year as data and uh, information has continued to change very, very rapidly. Uh, so for Russia in particular, uh, the the chance for them to actually invade Ukraine, uh, it seemed consensus that it was a very, very low odd. Uh, clearly, that now that is now uh, reality. And because of that, markets are once again recalibrating their expectations uh, in terms of economic growth, expectations for underlying company uh, earnings, and the geopolitical risks uh, that we are all very much well aware of. Yeah, the markets, you've always sort of imparted upon us that the markets don't like uncertainty. And Certainly, certainly in this particular case, they were caught um, off guard or uh, without the right calibration of what was about to happen. What is the economic threat of, of Russia on U.S. stocks? Uh, very, very low, actually. Uh, China, or excuse me, Russia and Ukraine actually uh, make up less than 1% of actual trade uh, for the U.S. Now, that said, a lot of U.S. companies actually do have uh, invested businesses or companies or divisions in uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, that are you know, under pressure at this point. Uh, but ultimately, Russia is a relatively closed economy uh, focused more on energy production uh, at this point and not really a big player here, at least domestically. Yeah, just before we, we hit record on this podcast, you were mentioning that um, there's, there's now sort of this desire to start screening out Russian-based mm -hmm activities by by companies or companies rather that have russian based activities um it you know the world certainly is flat um but as a percentage of the world's gdp i mean i think russia comes in at 11th um which puts it below canada and italy ahead of south korea and australia and as you aptly said it's it's not japan but it's also not zimbabwe so obviously it matters on the big picture but um you know when i think of russia and you know it's it's sort of a you know sophomoric view of it but i think of oil and maybe some logistics um perhaps um i don't know what else is coming from russia that we might be reliant upon uh it really is energy related uh, and in particular it's really for our european partners across the ocean uh they're they, they get their supply of particularly natural gas and oil uh, from the Russian oil fields. And so, you know, there's, there's a reason why the European markets have sold off a bit more uh, than the U.S. And even the day of after the announcement of uh, war, remember, 
kind of staying up all night and tracking the news yeah. uh, as it happened real time. Uh, the market did sell off here domestically, you know, pretty significantly, 3%. And then by the end of the day, we were up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the following day, kind of That's same right. thing. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to there's the, the emotional panic, uh, sell everything, the world's coming to an end, emotional side. Uh, and then there's definitely investors who say there's a lot of opportunity out there still, uh, similar to what we've seen since the start of the year. Mm. A lot of great companies uh, have seen market declines just due to the fact that many people have been taking technical trading into perspective, uh, tax loss harvesting or taking gains uh, in a new tax year uh, or taking profits in areas that have worked very, very well, like uh, technology growth stocks. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because that was a part of your your piece. You, you highlighted some of the things we were going to talk about before before <laughs> yeah. this uh, this crisis unfolded in, in Ukraine and Russia. And um, there were a lot of things on the docket already that that investors were worried about heading into 2022. I think the commentary, um, the quarterly commentary mentioned that it was really going to be um, growth that was led by some of our international or exposure to international opportunities, um, having, you know, us leading sort of our way out of the pandemic. And now we'd start to see a return to, um, growth in, in international stocks. Um, I don't know if that was equity or fixed income, but it was basically a commentary that we'd be seeing the international markets help lead the way. Is that, um, is that changed now in light of what's happening or is it still too early to tell? I think the thesis is still intact uh, over the short and long term. Uh, really, the U.S. did lead uh, due to the fact that the vaccine distribution uh, was much faster than many other parts of the world. Uh, definitely early areas of catching up. Uh, we are seeing many, many countries and in particular states, even here in the United States, switch from pandemic mode to endemic mode. Uh, so ultimately, we do think International developed markets, emerging markets should still continue to lead growth over the next decade, uh, in particular, if they've missed out in the previous decade. Uh, Valuation is still very, very attractive. Uh, it's, I think it's about 14 years since uh, international emerging markets outperformed uh, or had needed to capitulate and actually capture back to where they were um, in domestic markets. So if, if anything, uh, this crisis and situation has actually accelerated some of the change that we were looking at. In particular, Germany has declared that they want to accelerate their energy independence uh, and focus on renewables uh, even earlier period and be less reliant on energy and traditional fossil fuels. Uh, so these are growth engines that should continue to occur um, in the international space. Yeah, that makes sense. And you also highlighted something that I thought was really interesting about the major episodes um, that have occurred in Europe. And um, just to reiterate, as I'm looking at it here, there's been, uh, you highlighted eight of them, um, you know, nine of them, I guess, if you, if you include Crimea. And um, they all had different effects on the markets. Do you, I mean, assuming things don't escalate, you know, beyond things that are sort of past our area of expertise about talking about geopolitical um, risks and, and sort of military strategy, assuming this this is sort of this isolated event that's impacting the world, will will you will you think that a return to normal is is inevitable as as we you know as the dust settles so to speak? Uh, absolutely, it, you know, war is a very tragic thing uh, and very sad to see, uh, but ultimately. Uh, Investors do move on. Uh, war isn't permanent. 
so definitely a return to normal is expected. Uh, it's more, once again, with the market expecting what is that pace of return to normal. Uh, and if anything, if we kind of think about what's happened year to date and really what's been driving the volatility, uh, we've talked about at our webinar is really the central banks, central bank policy, uh, raising rates uh, across you know, Europe uh, as well as here domestically. And I think, you know, when we started the year, the expectations for domestic side was three to four rate hikes. Uh, then it accelerated to five to seven uh, rate hikes. And now we have some cover. The Fed has some cover to take things a little bit slower. Uh, I think at one point the market was expecting about a 90% chance for a 50 basis point rate hike at March's meeting. Uh, that's basically non-existent now. Uh, and historically, the Fed has shown constraint during geopolitical events. Uh, thinking about Europe, uh, you know, they've had negative real rates of return for a very, very long time, negative yields. Uh, expectations there have been very, very volatile. Uh, so they started the year actually uh, expecting to get to positive rates by the end of 2030. And then quickly that got pulled forward to the end of this year. So an eight year pull forward, uh, which really spoke to a lot of the volatility uh, in the equity markets internationally. Uh, but now those central banks have cover uh, to be a little bit more accommodative, a little bit longer uh, to make sure that their economies don't roll over during this geopolitical crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and there were a couple other metrics that you were citing that, again, things that we were planning to talk about. Um, it was the VIX, which you know, maybe as a refresher, you can share what, what the impact the VIX has and what that actually measures. And um, also the price of oil. Um, we talked about price of oil, you know, it's probably been two or three years since that's been in the, the commentaries. Um, but, you know, it always seems to be a driving factor of, of the market. So maybe just touch on the VIX and then price of oil and what you're watching with respect to those two metrics. Sure. Uh, so VIX, also known as the, uh, the fear index, uh, basically is uh, a measure of volatility uh, that market participants are expecting over the next 30 days. And anything kind of above uh, really 20, 25 is an elevated level. Um, but interesting enough, uh, we were kind of bouncing around between 28 and 35 uh, during kind of the last week. And to put things in perspective, uh, COVID, uh, if you recall that two years ago now, I can't believe, uh, we got up to the 80s. Uh, so market isn't pricing in uh, massive amounts of volatility. Uh, in particular, even the fixed income markets, we aren't seeing massive retracements in uh, U.S. Treasury yields, for example. So clearly, market participants are sensitive and aware, uh, but aren't in full panic mode. Uh, and in terms of oil, uh, energy, very cyclical, uh, an area that's done well last year, uh, in particular, done well again this year, obviously, uh, due to the oil constraints. And it is a structural timing issue. Many, much of the world now has been shifting to more renewable energy, solar, uh, for example, uh, and moving away from traditional fossil fuels. Uh, so there has been a shortage of actual production. Uh, so similar to the supply constraints that we are all very well aware of over the last few years of getting goods, um, something very similar in terms of fossil fuels uh, is occurring as well. So we did see oil spike uh, in terms of WTI above 100. Uh, but really, it's kind of more normalized, uh, kind of in the 95 to 100 range. Uh, so don't expect it to shoot up to the 180 level that we saw uh, to the last cycle. I think 2007, 2008, we saw about $180 arrow at the, uh, oil at the high. Um, but we are balancing. We are, the economy we have today is much less reliant on uh, energy and fossil fuels. So help us look. Um, that's a helpful perspective. And, and those, are, those are key metrics, obviously, that we you know, appreciate your, your insights on. As we look forward, the the headline risk of, of this crisis clearly is going to be here for 
a while, um, the foreseeable future, let's call it. How do we look past those headlines and sort of get get our head around a long-term investment strategy when you know, we're just getting pummeled with all this information, um, most of it negative. Obviously, war has a, a terrible um, overtone to it. And in, the, in light of you know, coming out of a pandemic, you know, we were just sort of reaching endemic stage, which that seemingly was a <laughs> you know, return to normality to some degree. I know, you know here in California, the mass mandate is being um, eased and some of those restrictions to going back to normal were just sort of, you know, we were just starting to experience again, but now we're hit with, with war and headlines that just have, you know, some, some terrible, terrible sentiment. How do we appreciate those in light of what's going on? You shared some good things that we can, you know, take some comfort in about, you know, the impact on these two countries on U.S. stocks. But but how do we sort of take it a step further from a behavioral psychology standpoint when we think about our money and our investments headed into 2022 and beyond? Uh, I always say times like this is a great time to review your risk tolerance and your risk profile. Um, kind of reaffirm uh, what your time horizon is for your portfolio, uh, what ultimate goals that you're trying to achieve with your portfolio, and what are your liquidity needs. Uh, those mean different things to different people, um, yeah. and it's something that we're very sensitive to for our, for our clients. Uh, I would say right now, we think about just diversified asset allocation portfolios is to further diversify. Uh, and, you know, I made the comment earlier, tech stocks have done phenomenal the S&P uh, 500 actually through the end of last year, the last three years have annualized 26% returns. Uh, that's not normal. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so taking some profits makes a lot of sense. And you know, you, you mentioned earlier, the world isn't flat anymore. Uh, and if you want to protect kind of uh, against geopolitical risks, you probably want to diversify a little bit more into mid caps and small cap uh, equities uh, who really are focused more on the domestic economy. Uh, small cap companies uh, don't have, do typically a lot of overseas business. Um, they really are focused on the domestic end, and actually, uh, they have good positive correlations to inflation as well. So that's an area that we kind of like, small and mid, smid, uh, as good diversifiers within portfolio. And looking beyond uh, international space, is probably diversify out into a little bit more value, lean into that across the board, um, and then ultimately think of other areas where that are less correlated to the broad markets. So we're, we, we still like alternative investments, for example, things that are a lot less correlated uh, than traditional markets. Uh, and there is an illiquidity uh, to those asset classes. Uh, but we think investors at this point, uh, you know, do get some benefits from there still. Yeah, those are comforting comments, um, particularly at these macro events at this scale are testing everybody's patience. So there will be no doubt more to be said in coming days about what's going on. I'm sure you'll be tasked with drafting yet another follow-up piece <laughs> to this because um, we are inquiring minds and we want to know um, how to think about this but we really appreciate you taking a moment out of your day today we know things are things are hectic and and you're um, obviously managing a lot for us um, any other final thoughts as we as I let you get back to your day-to-day -day? just uh, thank you for your trust and confidence in us uh, you know we, we are always very focused to be stewards of your capital um, and diligent of what's going on in the world today. Thanks, Drew. I know your time is valuable. Um, we really appreciate your insights today. And I know on behalf of everyone who's listening, we really appreciate what you were able to share with us. Thanks for having me, Tyler. This concludes this episode, this special episode of the Wealth and Wellbeing podcast. 